ultimatum, a final proposition, condition, or demand. Happy Monday and welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary has given us starting coordinates for our journey today. In our current series through the book of Hebrews, we're proclaiming Jesus as the last possible, the farthest, the end of heaven's communication with earth. He is God's ultimatum. And he also fits the definition of that word in the sense of a demand. Such a great gift requires a response from us. Here's Jim. Open your Bibles, please, the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. Look with me, please. Look with me, please, at verse 4. After a tremendous description of who Jesus is, his unique properties, his deity, his godishness, his being God, after telling us briefly his connection with the creation, the writer of Hebrews ends with verse 4. So he, that's talking about Jesus, became, now if you mark in your Bible, mark that word, he became higher in rank than the angels. That does not mean, that does not mean that as God who created all angels, he was less than the angel. But that's setting us up for what's going to come in chapter 2. But just note it, that Jesus became higher in rank, and he became higher in rank as man. That's the key. That's the key. He became man, the incarnation. And as man, he became higher in rank than the angels because of all that he accomplished. And he sat down at the right hand of the, of the majesty on high. So he became higher in rank than the angels just as the name he inherited. That's not deity. This is inheritance. He didn't inherit deity. He's always been God always been God. But through his incarnation, he inherited, he possessed, he won back an inheritance which is superior to the angel's inheritance. And then the rest of chapter 1 goes into this marvelous argument about the superiority of Jesus above the angel's. Why is that important? It's important because basic Bible knowledge introduces us to a world we can't see. I'm always kind of amused when somebody says, you think there's life on other planets? Oh, I know there's life on other planets. There are other worlds out there. And we know from Scripture that there's hundreds of millions and millions of beings who are called angels. We know that from other Scriptures. And we know that they are smarter than we are. <laughs> we know that they're older than we are. We know that they're stronger than we are. And we know that they have place, position, and purpose in ordering the creation God uses them to accomplish things in managing his purpose. And many, many times, as God revealed himself in the old times through the prophets, 
angels were dramatically involved. Well, just think for a moment. It was an angel, Gabriel, who came to Zacharias, right? Nod your head or do something. Show me. Yeah, I want to know that you're tuned in. Yeah, yeah. It was an angel that came and spoke. Who came and spoke to Mary? An angel. Who warned Joseph in the night that you need to take the child and head to Egypt? An angel, an angel, an angel, an angel, an angel, an angel. In fact, Jesus said on the night of his betrayal, listen, Jesus said to his disciples, hey guys, don't you realize I could ask the Father and he would send 12 legions of you know how many 12 legions of angels are? That's exactly right. That is exactly right. You can come down and sit at the head of the class. That's a lot of angels. And if you want to see what those angels are capable of doing, just read back through the Old Testament, times when they are there. And they are powerful, and they do things, and they accomplish things for God. They serve as God's uh, managers. They serve as God's messengers. Do you remember when Daniel, in Daniel chapter uh, 10, 11, and 12, when the angel came and spoke with Daniel, he talked about the prince. Remember that? The war in heaven between the prince of, what was it, Persia? Persia. In the Persia? And how he was arrested there. There's a lot of life out there, folks. And there's also the living creatures. And there's also the cherubim. And there's also the seraphim who are technically designed for specific angelic beings. Now, the author knew that in the background of God's revelation of himself to man and God's working in human affairs, these people who are the first readers of this book knew that angels are dramatic, they are dynamic, and the problem was Angels had become superior in their worship, in their wonder, in their thinking. And what the author is saying is, let's get things in perspective. Angels are real. The Son, Jesus Christ, is greater than the angels greater than the angels. And there's a whole list of Old Testament passages that are quoted here to prove that. But before we look at those, before we look at those, look with me, please, at verse 5 of chapter 2. Look. This is kind of the middle of the argument. Chapter 2, verse 5, look what he says. For he, that's God, has not subjected to angels. Look, he's not subjected to angels the world to come that we are talking about. Say what? What's that mean? The author has his heart and mind focused on the future. The author is concerned about the Hebrew people he's addressing, their response to what God has said through the prophets, yes, but supremely what God has said in and through Jesus Christ. And the whole purpose of this letter 
The whole reason the letter was written was to say, you folks need to understand that Jesus is God's ultimatum. If you don't have Jesus in the center, you're going to lose everything. Angels are inferior to Jesus. And God has made tremendous promises, tremendous promises to those who are followers of the Lord Jesus. And you need to take the angels out of the top spot and remember that they're just created. They're part of the creation. Jesus was God who created the angels. And for a brief period of time, he became lower than the angels in his incarnation. And we'll see why he did that next week. That's an exciting passage. But when he finished that work, he was then exalted back to the right hand of the Father, and the Father promised him an inheritance promised him a future, and here's the kicker. He promised that everybody who would trust his son Jesus would share that future. That's what he's talking about. God has a plan for what he calls here the world to come. There's a coming age. Things aren't going to remain like they are today. There's going to be dramatic change. The whole world the whole world system is going to be dramatically changed and altered. The Bible tells us how, tells us when, tells us why, tells us who. And the answer to all four of those is Jesus, 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 Jesus. In this book, we're going to run into five different warnings. Listen carefully. Each of those warnings has one purpose, just one purpose. Here's the purpose. The purpose of that warning is to say, if you don't know Jesus and keep him in the place he has earned, the place God has appointed him, then you're going to lose everything. That's the whole point. Meaning that if you don't respond to what God has said about in and through Jesus and what God promised to do in and through Jesus, if you don't respond to that actively, which is what faith is, you're going to inflict severe damage upon your own soul. I was talking with the Lord about this last Thanksgiving and going through this end of the year. Okay, God... Are there things yet that you want Tricene and Jen to be doing? I'm happy to continue to, uh, to study prophecy. I love to teach prophecy because it's, it's the heartbeat of the scripture. It's the heartbeat of our future. It's the heartbeat of our relationship. I love that. But you know what I observed? I observed people ask a question and I would do my best to answer and then draw a little sketch and they'd say, oh, that's wonderful. That's interesting. And they tuck it in the back of their Bible like this, just like this and go on about their life as if they didn't know it. And I got to thinking, something's missing there. And the Lord led me to Hebrews. And what the Lord is saying through the pages of Hebrews is, if you and I do not treat 
the prophetic promises of God with active anticipation and participation, listen, you're going to atrophy. It's going to affect you. You're not going to have the cutting edge that God wants in your life. In other words, Hebrew says, folks, you need to be people of faith. What does that mean? That means I embrace what God says in the revelation he has given us in and through Jesus. I embrace Jesus for what God says he is. I anticipate the things that he has promised to do, and I act upon that today. When we get there to chapter 11, you're going to see that every one of those people in chapter 11 did things that were foolish. I mean, here's a, here's a 90-year-old woman out buying pampers. <laughs> You've got to be kidding, Mama. And I'm not kidding at all. God said, I'm going to have a son, so I'm buying pampers. You get it? That's faith. Here's a guy building a huge ark on a piece of land that had never experienced rain. Did they get criticized? Were they considered foolish? Did they get persecuted? Were they called dum-dums? Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. And if you and I are going to respond to the word of God, the word that God has given us in Jesus, the revelation God's given to us in Jesus, we're going to be doing some things the world's going to say stupid. That's dumb. That's the idiot. That's foolish. That's what faith does. Faith grabs hold today of what God says, because I did this, and because you have received this, I am going to do this, this, this. And my faith rises up and says, I believe that. So I act today as if it were history. And brother, that will change us. That's the whole point of Hebrews. You got it. I spilled all the beans in one message. But look at the first warning. Look at it. Look at it. Chapter 2, verse 1. Look. We must therefore pay even more attention to what we have heard. What's he saying? He is saying we need to, we need to get, the, we need to get the, 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 the hearing aids in the ear. We need to set up. We need to take time. We need to spend more time studying, reading, meditating, reflecting upon the Word of God, speaking about it with other brothers and sisters, stimulating each other to love and to good works. We need to ask God to cultivate within us a heart of, of, of faith and confidence, and we need to pay more attention to these things. It needs to stop being a Sunday school class, now listen, or just a Sunday morning service, or even a small group, it needs to become my lifeblood. That's what faith is. Faith isn't saying, oh, I think that's true. Faith is saying, I know it's true, and therefore I'm going to act today on the veracity, the truth of what God has said. Now, the writer is here giving the first of five warnings. He said, we must, therefore, pay even more attention to what we have heard. What will happen if we don't? We will drift away. 
Dr. Hoyt writes in his book that this is a, a word picture that, that's like we're, we're in a canoe and we're going down the river. And on each side of the river, we can see places where we could pull off, where we could pull off, where we could pull off. But we keep passing those places and the current gets swifter and swifter and swifter. The idea is that if we are not feeding our souls, feeding our minds, if we're not ingesting what God says about truth and making that the standard of our decisions and the basis for our conduct, if we're not doing that, then we're going to, we're going to lose our moorings. We're going to lose them. We're going to drift away from them and we're going to get caught up in the mainstream of life as usual. We're going to become just like everybody else and we're going to drift away from these eternal things that God gave to us in his son. That's what that means. Now there's one other word in this warning too. Notice we need to pay even more attention to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. For if the message spoken through angels was legally binding, and it was, and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, and it did. How will we escape? Note the word escape. That's a threat. That's a real threat. There's danger out there if we are not moored in, if we're not anchored in, if we're not conditioned by, if we're not feeding upon what God has said is truth and acting accordingly. How shall we then escape? How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? What's the great salvation? Listen, dear friends. It's far more than Jesus died on the cross to forgive me of my sins. It's far more than that. It's far more than that. It's the content of this book. It's what God has promised Jesus that he's going to do to exalt Jesus. It's what God has promised to do to the nations on the earth, those who, who revile him. It's what God has promised to do to those who ignore his standards, reject his grace, spurn his truth. God has some very unpleasant things he's promised to do concerning those conditions. That isn't going to go on much longer. And the writer's saying that if we don't wake up, if we don't actively engage, if we don't pay more attention to even the things that we've learned, if we don't keep those fresh in our mind, we're going to loose our moorings and drift away from them and we will not escape. Escape what? Escape the damage, the harm that comes to our own lives from being unmoored, from being drifting, from being unloosed from the foundations and the moorings of the truth. See that? How shall we escape? If we neglect, what does neglect mean? It means I'm not paying even more attention to the word of God. It means if I'm not taking what God has said and purposely and prayerfully seeking to translate that into my behavior, my attitudes, my responses to people, 
the way I, the way I manage my time, the way I manage my money, what I, what, I, what I do with everything, my whole life. Am I investing my life in the things that matter to God, in the things that matter to Jesus? Am I really investing my life in that? Or am I playing it cool? And nobody at work, nobody where I had lunch would have any idea that I'm really a follower of Jesus. The point of the warning is we either get into those things or we'll lose them. And there's real losses. There are real losses that Christians can experience. Oh, they'll be in heaven because that's a gift of God's grace. But there are phenomenal things that you will lose, both in your own growth, in your own sensitivity, in your own walk, in your own maturing, in all those things, things that I will lose if I don't pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. And that leads us to the verse we read, or uh, almost, verse uh, 5. He has not subjected to angels the world to come that we are talking about. The writer is talking about those specific prophetic promises of what God is going to give you as part of your inheritance. He's talking about those specific changes in character, those transforming qualities that make us like the Lord Jesus Christ that are part of the contract, part of the agreement. He's talking about making us spirit-filled people. He's talking about making us articulators and practices of truth. He's talking about making us act like, think like, and look like Jesus. We'll put all of that aside. We do that to our own peril. There are rewards to be lost. There are losses, not of salvation, but there are losses. And how those losses occur? They occur when we take the attitude or take on the activities that the Hebrews, the Hebrew believers were struggling with to whom the writer writes this, writes this message. What is it about us that when God gives us a direct line to him, we'd rather speak to the help? priests, saints, angels, someone closer to the ground. Our loving Father invites us to come boldly to the throne of grace, and we're trying to get the attention of some middleman. And as for that grace part, couldn't we just work a little bit? Jim's sermon is entitled, The Danger of Drifting. We heard the first of two parts today. It's a component of our Hebrews series, God's Ultimatum, Volume 1. You can have the single talk on CD for your gift of $7 or more or the whole set of 19 discs for a donation of $66 or more. I'll tell you how to get those in a second. We do ask you to consider supporting Right Start. It's a way you can shine your light by joining it with other lights. And our culture could use some light right now. Just listen for the still small voice of the Spirit in case he should ask you to get involved. And to our praying and giving family, we appreciate all that you're doing. Mail us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437 Worthington, Ohio, 43085 USA, 
or call 1-800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. On the website, rightstartradio.org, you can re-listen to today's broadcast or go back to hear previous shows. You can play or download Pastor Jim's complete sermons there, too. We'll show you how to get connected to the daily podcast, and you can make a secure online donation at rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. Jim said that there are five warnings in the book of Hebrews. We'll think more about some of those on tomorrow's show. Please join us on Tuesday, if you can, for the next Right Start.